calling Fear Not. And uh, this series is based on uh, the Christmas narrative of Luke chapters 1 and 2, and more specifically on the, the three different times in these two chapters where um, we read that angels appeared to fearful people, whether it be Zechariah, we're going to look at today, uh, Mary next week, and then lowly shepherds. And uh, angels said in all three of those instances, do not be afraid. And I love the fact that angels show up all over the Christmas story. And I, I believe the reason is because it's something altogether glorious. The story is altogether supernatural. There's something altogether life-changing about the story of Christmas. And when we think about it, Christmas is supposed to be a time of joyful celebrations, a time where we um, take uh, cheer and gladness in Him. But the, the truth of it is it can be a time where the spotlight is on other things that bring disappointment in our lives. And many of us over the next month are going to battle feelings of fear, loneliness, depression, hopelessness, grief, disappointment, just to name a few. And many of us, like those affected by the, the first Christmas, are either paralyzed by fear or you're battling fear um, in your lives. And it seems like there's always an opportunity for fear. This week I went on a website that was called um, phobialist.com and it lists over well over 550, I believe, different phobias that exist in our world. And let me just give you a, a few of the fears and phobias that exist. And some of these might seem um, kind of funny or not so um, fearful to us, but yet they're real fears that exist. So there is ablutophobia, which is the fear of washing and bathing. It's the fear that we hope none of us ever have. Um, there's claustrophobia. We know that one, the fear of conflict. Confined spaces, there's arachnophobia, that's the fear of spiders, as well as my all-time least favorite, um, aphidiophobia, which is the fear of snakes, and you all know my fear there, snakes will either make me hurt myself or make me hurt someone else, um, so ju just so you know, that's how I, I, I live in, in, in that fear. Um, there's also arithmophobia, which is the fear of numbers, um, there is ephibophobia, Bephobia, which is, I, may, I think I've experienced this one a few times, the fear of teenagers. Um, so that, that can tend to happen. Now, um, just deal with me here. Uh, Hippopotamonstrosaquidpedilophobia, which is the fear of long words. Um, there is, there is pelodophobia, which is the fear of bald people. Okay, I don't think I have that one. Um, there is also um, pentherophobia, which is the fear of mother-in-laws. I'm going to move on from that one really quick. And then there is phobophobia, which is the fear of being afraid. So um, that's just a few of those. You get the idea. There are phobias for everything that we can imagine. And here's what we all know, or what we would all probably agree upon, is that fear can overwhelm our senses. Fear can distort the way we think. It can kidnap our desires. Fear can capture our thoughts so that we spend more time worrying than we do trusting Fear can cause us to make bad decisions in the short term and fail to make good decisions in the, in the long run. You know, fear can cause us to forget what we know at the same time to lose sight of, of who we are. Fear can cause us to dis distrust people that we have reason to, to trust. Fear causes us to be demanding at times and rather, rather than to be serving to people. Fear can cause us to run when we should stay, and sometimes it causes us to stay when 
we should run. Um, one of the worst things fear does is it makes God look small and our circumstances loom large. And then fear can make us try to seek from other people what we can only get from God himself. And what we know is that fear can be the, the soil of our deepest questions and even our deepest doubts. And let me just say this this morning. Our hearts were wired um, to fear. Our hearts were wired to fear because we were designed to live a life shaped by fear of God. But instead, we often fear um, everything else. So we, we fear everything we shouldn't fear, and we don't fear the one that we should fear. Just, just think about this. Instead of fearing God, we fear everything else um, but God. And I'm not trying to paint God as the boogeyman here, but I will tell you this. My Bible says he's a consuming fire. Um, so you can um, deal with that however you choose to, but our God, my God, is a consuming fire. And we can uh, let that set over us um, for just a moment. But in light of the landscape that we live in, filled with constant opportunities to fear, I want us to jump in um, to this three-week series. And we're going to bring him, um, the one who is over it all, we're going to bring his word into our fearfulness. And into our disappointments and the the prayer today is that as we spend the next three weeks walking through and even four weeks kind of we're going to stay on that theme of fear that God would allow the the houses of fear that we have built to to crumble um, when it comes to his word and and his presence so we're beginning this this picture of this series fear not and our message title today is fear in disappointment there's there's fear in disappointment there's when we are disappointed fear seems to creep in and so many things can tend to happen there so I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand we got a little bit to read today we're going to read verses 5 through 25 and then skip uh, over to verse 57 and read through 66 together so I'll try to um, go through that as quick as we can but let's just jump in together verse 5 of Luke chapter 1 in the days of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be um, great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, <coughs> excuse me, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient unto the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." 
And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And if we can skip ahead to verse 57, and we're going to read through 66, and it says this, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the, their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to your word. We come to this picture of fear, Lord, that oftentimes can grip all of our hearts in different ways. And Lord, we just pray that today by your word, through your spirit, God, that you would speak um, into our fear, God. Um, Lord, and we just pray that our fears would diminish, God, in your presence. Lord, just lead us today, God, we pray, into your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So, I pray that we don't miss this. Sometimes we, we miss what's going on here. We miss the overall narrative that um, the book of Malachi is the last written word we have in the Old Testament. Then what we know is that there were 400 years between the book of Malachi being written and God appearing through Gabriel to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So 400 years where there was no revelation from God given or no written revelation from God given. 400 years of what we called the years of silence. And those 400 years of silence are broken in a message from Gabriel to a faithful yet overlooked priest who's going about his duties. And so what we know is this priest, after serving um, most of his adult life as a priest, has now chosen to go into the holy place. It was a privilege that priests only got to do one time in their, their life. So he's in the temple. He's burning incense, which is a picture of prayer. Um, people on the outside, they're praying as well. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, certain offices of the priests were considered to be more honorable than others. And so to prevent any jealousy, they would cast lots um, as to which priest should perform which job. The lot fell on Zechariah to burn incense. This did not happen by chance. So this priest, Zechariah, was chosen by lot because unbeknownst to him, God had a message for him. And God had an appointment with him with a messenger. I love the words of Proverbs 16.33 that says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So the lots are something that happen in, in, in Scripture all throughout the Bible, but yet 
Every decision is from the Lord. So every part of this story, every up, every down, every twist, every turn, every false hope, every bit of hopelessness that came is ordained, was, was ordained by God, by the one who caused us to fear not. Yet what we know is that fear remains a constant battle. Fear remains a constant struggle in all of our lives. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to unpack together four truths um, that leap forth from the pages of, of Luke chapter 1 and kind of our, our um, battle with the fear in disappointment. So the first truth is this. There is fear in our powerlessness before God. There is fear in our powerlessness before God. There is fear when we understand that we are powerless when it comes to our wants and our desires, even if those desires are godly desires that we think would bring glory to him. So think about this picture in verses 5 through 7. There was a priest named Zechariah. He had a wife named Elizabeth. They were both of the line of the priesthood. They were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly, according to the word of God, in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had, yet this picture of but, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. So here you have a righteous couple. They were advanced in age and they had no children. And I want to kind of take this in reverse order this morning. First of all, they, they were barren. And in those days, there was hardly anything worse for a couple than, than this. For barrenness was seen as a sign of divine disfavor. It was a divine curse over a, a family's life if the, the wife could not have a child. In fact, Jewish rabbis included barren women in a list of seven people that should be excommunicated from the people of God. Barrenness even became a valid grounds for divorce. So just think about the stigma there of being um, barren in that day. And then on the other side, for the Jewish couple, having children meant having someone to take care of them. There was no 401k. There was no Medicare, Medicaid. All of those things were, were not a reality. If you were going to be cared for in your older years, it was because you had children who would care for you. And Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't have that. And then having children also was a picture of continuing to share a part in the stake of the hope or Israel's future hope in the Messiah. So being able to have a line that would continue was a picture that you would continue on in the future hope that Israel had in the Messiah. So for years, Zechariah and Elizabeth had hoped and prayed for a son. But year after year, the cycle went like this. Hope and disappointment. Elizabeth would get up one morning. She would feel nauseous. She would think to herself, this is it. I think I'm pregnant. And then a couple of weeks later, she'd come to the heartbreaking realization that, again, it was just another false hope. After years of this cycle of hope and disappointment, both Zachariah and Elizabeth had resolved themselves that they were never going to have children. By this time, a permanent disappointment had set in in their lives. And just think about this. It's not just Zachariah and it's not just Elizabeth. Let me ask you this. Do you have or do we have areas in our lives like this? I think we all have areas in our lives where barrenness is, is hanging over us. For some, it's, I don't understand why we can't have kids. Others, it's, I don't understand why I'm single. Or others, I don't understand why I've overlooked for promotion. I don't understand why I can never turn the corner financially. I don't understand why 
kids are rebelling against God or why my home seems to be so dysfunctional. I don't understand why um, health is not coming to me or it's not improving. And then, of course, on the outside, we have the words of people who mean well, but yet sometimes people can say very idiotic things um, to us that Satan uses to not lift us up in those moments, but to absolutely bring us down. I read this week of a young man that said that he went to a, a big church, um, but every time he would go to a wedding, older women would come up to him and they said, don't worry, son, um, we know you're single, but your day's coming. And he said he got enough of it that eventually he would go to every funeral and he'd walk up to them and say, don't you worry, your day is coming too. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe that's not the way to, to necessarily um, deal with that, but here, here's what we know. There is a powerlessness that we feel in moments like this. And that powerlessness can lead to bitterness. There are some, maybe who are here this morning, who are bitter because God hasn't given you what you think God should give you. Or what we always say is this, God hasn't given you what God never promised to give you, yet you're upset at him because he hasn't given you what you want. And so some are bitter in that. Others of us are, are here and we're hurt because we've been praying and praying and praying and we feel as though God has just hit the mute button on our prayers. And he's not hearing us. And he's not listening to us. Yet don't miss the picture here. Yes, this couple was barren. But also this couple was righteous. They were righteous in the sight of God. And maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. But this is good because this. In a world where Zachariah and Elizabeth were declared to be under a curse. The Bible instead declared them to be under grace. The Bible says, no, 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 no. They're not under a curse. They are wrapped and covered in righteousness. They are wrapped and covered in righteousness. And understand this. They, they were not righteous because they were sinless. They were righteous in the sight of God because, because of God, by grace, through faith, had declared them to be righteous. Yet there were probably still times where Zechariah and Elizabeth asked themselves, God, what have we done wrong? God, what's wrong with us? Why, God? And I, I, don't, I try not to give my opinion up here from the, the pulpit, but let me just tell you one thing that God has shown me um, through our family's adoption. And I don't mean to add this to it, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. I think many times when we, when we would think of barrenness in, in our family, we would think, you know, we want to have kids and then adoption would be plan B. And then we walk through this adoption process and then we realize that, man, adoption isn't plan B. It's not like um, Morgan and Madison is God's perfect plan and then Malachi is God's extra goodness. No, no. Morgan is God's perfect plan. Madison is God's perfect plan. Malachi is God's perfect plan for us. I mean, here's the picture. So adoption is not plan B. It's, it's a picture of what God does, but I think there were questions here that um, Elizabeth and, and Zachariah had, and there's questions that we have. And let me just throw this out there this morning. God is not afraid of our questions. God is not afraid of your questions. He, he's not afraid of those, but he is desiring and he is deserving of our trust. 
even in the midst of those questions, even when things don't make sense. So there is a fear in our powerlessness before God that we can't do anything about it, even if it's a godly desire. Then the second truth is this. There is a fear in the presence of a messenger of God. So there's a fear in the presence of a messenger of God. And this might seem like it only applies to Zechariah here, but I, I pray that we can see maybe it applies more to us than we think. So one of the things that, that characterizes the book of, of Luke or the small, trivial details where Luke um, did a lot of research and found out and kind of put the story together. And maybe he didn't talk to Zechariah. Maybe he talked to somebody that Zechariah told this story to. But he got the, the story. And what we are told in verses 8 and 9 is that while he was serving as a priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple to burn incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. And, of course, Zechariah was, was troubled Fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. And I love the words of J.C. Ryle, who says this, Nowhere in the Bible do we find such frequent mention of angels as in the period of our Lord's earthly ministry. At no time do we read of so many appearances of angels as about the time of our Lord's incarnation and entrance into the world. The meaning of this circumstance is sufficiently clear. It was meant to teach the church that the Messiah was no angel, but the Lord of angels, as well as the Lord of men. Angels announced his coming. Angels proclaimed his birth. Angels rejoiced at his appearing. And I think when we, when we think about Scripture, if there is one thing that angels did throughout Scripture, besides being a messenger of God, is that angels absolutely terrorized or terrified people, which shows us how far our society concept of angels has gotten away from the word of God. So think about this. In Matthew 1, an angel came to Joseph and said, do not be afraid. In Luke 1 to Zechariah, do not be afraid. In Luke 1 to Mary, as we're going to see next week, do not be afraid. In Luke 2 to the shepherds, do not be afraid. Apparently, angels are more than just floating chubby babies um, with wings and a harp. Apparently, um, they are frightening creatures. And we live in a world where 70% of Americans say they believe in angels and 32% say that they have experienced an angel. A few years ago, Life magazine did a survey to find out what the 32% who said they had an encounter um, with an angel, what they actually experienced. And of course, the answers ranged from spooky to kind of bizarre so you have the, the standard answers or messages from the underworld. Then you've got people who claim that angels showed up to give them directions when they were lost. Several who said that angels helped them find a parking space when they could not find one at the mall. And then one lady claimed that the, an angel actually helped her make a chicken casserole. So I'm not going to comment on whether um, those things are true. I mean, I, the Bible does tell us that angels will appear unaware but I think the picture there is unaware. So when it says angels unaware, I think it means unaware. So just I'm just going with the Bible on this one. But let me just say this. In the Bible, anytime someone had an encounter with an angel, their response wasn't, do you think this casserole needs more salt? No, their, their response was absolute fear. They thought they were going to die in the presence of this messenger and angels are frightening creatures because they're supernatural creatures every time almost every time an angel appears with a message in the bible an angel begins by saying do not be afraid 
And just think about this. If angels are so fearsome that they have to say, do not be afraid, what is Christ in all his glory like? Can't even compare. We're so thankful for that. But here's the point for us. Today, we might not have an encounter with an angel of God. There's a really good chance that none of us are going to have an encounter today with an angel of God in, in this way. But we, all of us in this moment, are having an encounter with the word of God. And God is giving us a word, and sometimes that word brings fear in our lives. Sometimes what we believe God is going to say brings fear in our lives. Maybe because we don't trust him. Maybe sometimes we view ourselves to be more loving and caring and compassionate and knowledgeable than God himself is. I don't know where that would lead us or where we would be led to even think that way. But there is fear, sometimes in the presence of not just the messenger of God, but the message of God. Which then leads us to the third truth. There is fear when punishment comes to us from God. So there's fear when punishment comes to us from God or when discipline comes. Which is kind of a, probably a better word to use there. So Gabriel comes to Zechariah. In the middle of his priestly duty, and he tells him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Um, your prayer has been heard. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son together. Can you just imagine the heaviness of this message to Zechariah? And how does Zechariah respond? In verse 18, he says, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I can't help but laugh a little bit here. Because Zechariah is just like us. Zechariah went from one minute about to pass out in fear and maybe even wetting his pants in the presence of an angel to now saying, are you sure you know what you're talking about? How can I know that what you're really saying um, is true? How can I know that I can really trust you? I mean, think about this. He had prayed for a son. This was their request of faith that they were praying for the angel comes and says your prayer has been answered and Zachariah says ah you sure and I think sometimes when we look at ourselves you know what we do sometimes we pray because we are said or we're told that we have to but we don't really believe that God is either hearing us or that God would actually give us what we're praying for so much so that when God were to come and say I'm giving it to you we're, nah you sure not, not really sure you're going to do that. Not really sure you would hear or, or answer me. And I love this because it goes on. It says, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and give you good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. So the angel Gabriel, after identifying himself, told Zachariah, I love these words, he said, I stand in the presence of God. Basically, Gabriel's saying this, this is who I am, and this is where I spend my time. Who are you again? I love that, because that's what Gabriel's saying. I stand in the presence of God. You get to come in here and do this one time in your, your lifetime, and you're questioning me? I stand in the presence of God. God. And then what happens next is Gabriel puts Zechariah on a really big timeout. He says, because you don't believe me, you are now in timeout. For, for nine months, you are going to not be able to speak or you will not be able to hear. For nine months. And I know some of you right now are thinking, well, I, I can see where it says um, he won't be able to speak, but where does it say he won't be able to hear? I've never heard that before. 
And when you look at verse 62, verse 62 says that when the people spoke to him, they made signs. You don't make signs for people who can hear you. Doesn't make much sense to go, are you hungry? You're like, I can hear you. You don't have to do that to me. I can hear what you're saying. So the, the picture seems to be that there would be nine months where Zechariah could not talk and nine months where Zechariah could not hear. He is in this nine-month pretty brutal timeout. And before you go and just write Zechariah off as some stubborn old fool, I, I want to lay this before you because I think that maybe, just maybe, we can relate to him more than we think we can. Zechariah had a deep wound in his heart. Gabriel shows up and speaks about hope in the area where Zechariah and his wife had experienced nothing but disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And so what Zechariah does in this moment is he refuses to believe because of his past hurts. He has a heart full of doubt. God, are you capable? Are you able? And God, are you willing? Are you even willing to do this? That you would make me wait all of this time? And so what Zechariah does is he thinks his bitter past trumps God's promises. And he thinks his bitter past trumps the power of sovereign God to bring about what God declares to be true. Can we relate to any of that? I think we can. I think all of us, we're good when, when we hear messages that speak about things that we are enjoying and things. But when we hear a message that grates against our heart like sandpaper or that goes after a past disappointment or pain in our lives, there tends to be some things that we rise up with against that message. And this is what we're seeing here where we say, God, I, I know what your word says, but how can you be in control and the situation still be the way it is? God, how, how is it that this is going to happen when this is going on? I don't get it, God. I don't understand it. So God shut Zechariah up in this nine-month timeout to teach him, Zechariah, you've got to trust my love, and you've got to trust my character. What God did to Zechariah was, was discipline, yes, but it was also love. In the words of one pastor, hear this. There is a difference between discipline and wrathful punishment. This is really important. In wrath, God is paying you back for your sin. Discipline is when God gets out a surgical knife and corrects things in you for your good. Would I want a man with a knife sticking it into my chest? It depends on what his intentions are. If he's trying to murder me, no. <clears throat> But if he's a doctor who's performing open-heart surgery with a scalpel trying to save my life, then yes. The purpose of God's discipline in our lives is that we overflow with joy and happiness in God in a way that makes us burst out in praise. So after God took the scalpel to Zechariah, nine months later, Zechariah rejoiced in praise and blessings to God. And here's the thing, some of us, in this room today, have been or maybe even are being disciplined. And we need to hear this. God is doing it in love. Yes, it's painful. Yes, sometimes we're convinced that God is actually trying to kill us. But his intentions are always our healing, never our destruction. God disciplines you and God disciplines me because he loves us, because we're his children. Think about this. The wrath of God is this. 
The wrath of God is when God does nothing to us in the midst of our sin and God lets us continue on in the path of sin that leads to destruction. That is his wrath. That is the wrath of God. The love of God is when God comes into our lives as his children and God says, no more. No more. I will not allow you to walk this path any longer. So I'm going to put you through surgery, and that surgery will hurt. But I'm doing it because I love you. It's amazing how people will sometimes say, well, um, when, you, when you bring up something in their life, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Yeah, that might be just the way you are, but that's not the way God desires you. God loves us just as we are. but He never intended us to stay that way. He's got to work in our, our lives, and sometimes he does it through the scalpel. So when he works on us, even, even when the scalpel is involved, there is never, as a child of God, never any picture of retribution. God is not doing it to get back at us. God is doing it in order to heal us. He is doing it in order to use us. And think about this. If you don't believe that, understand this. Jesus took the scalpel of punishment from God so that you and I could take the scalpel of healing. This is how good our God is. But yet it, it can be fearful at times when we feel like we're being punished or disciplined by God. But it's done in love, which leads us to the last truth. So think about this. There's fear in our powerlessness before God. There's fear in the presence of a messenger of God. There's fear when punishment comes to us from God. But we've got to end with a, a, a good word. So here's the good word for us. There is no fear in the gracious love of God. There is no fear in the gracious love of God. If you don't believe me, listen to the words of 1 John 4, verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then 1 John 4, 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Let me, let me just say this. Well, I know that so many Christians are, are tormented, and they feel uh, they have feelings of self-doubt. They have feelings of worthlessness. They have feelings of sinfulness. And they think that they have to do something to make God love them. And let me just speak into that right now in case that is you. There is nothing you and I can ever do that will make God love us more than he loves us at this moment. And there is nothing that we can ever do that will make God love us any less than he loves us at this moment moment sometimes we think well if i'm reading my bible then god's going to love me more yet we want to read our bible so we can experience his love in a different way in a deeper way but it's not we do stuff so that god will love us he loves us he loves us we need to understand that and wrap our minds around that now let me say this very clearly we cannot walk in sin. We cannot walk away from him. We cannot walk as enemies of him and think we're going to experience his love. It doesn't happen that way. I remember my parents always telling me that. They would say, nothing you will ever do, nothing you will ever do will make you any less of our son. He will always be our son. But there might be times where you choose to walk away from us and you won't experience the fellowship of being our son. But understand our love for you it's not going anywhere. In fact, this picture of loving discipline, our parents would say this. We don't 
We don't love you or we don't discipline you so that you'll be our son. We discipline you because you are our son. What a difference that makes. It takes it all away. But, but think about this. We cannot draw near to God and run away from Him at the same time. We cannot draw near to Him in love while we're running away from Him in fear. It's just an impossibility. So here's the, the picture for us. Don't run away from the one who loves, or excuse me, who knows us completely, but yet who loves us perfectly. Don't run from Him. And know that whatever He is doing will lead to your and to my good, all for His glory. One thing I want to mention that I didn't mention earlier, and I will say this is in closing. It's really neat when we think about the name Zechariah actually means God remembers. God remembers. And let me just say this this morning. Regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of what disappointment you are experiencing, regardless of what maybe hurts or disappointments it seems that you have with God, let me say this. God remembers he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten your prayers. He has not forgotten any of the promises that he has made towards you. Therefore, in light of the fact that he remembers us, we fear not. We fear not. For perfect love casts out fear. And he loves us perfectly. And he didn't give Zachariah and, and Elizabeth something because they earned it. He gave them a son, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, because he loved them deeply. And I pray today that we would press in to that. Whatever disappointments we're, we're going through, whatever bitterness, whatever hopelessness, whatever things are, are weighing on our hearts, that we would understand that God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't thrown away our prayers. God hasn't chosen to bless somebody else by ignoring us. Sometimes we think that way. We think if we see somebody else being blessed, that means that God just can't bless us. But here's the beautiful thing. God has enough blessings to go around to all of us. He has enough faithfulness to hit all of us, to reach all of us. So it's not, oh, i got to be bitter at them because God's blessing them and not blessing me. Well, first of all, are we, are we blessable? Are we in a place where we're blessable in that moment? But are we trusting him? Are we trusting him? Are we running away from him in fear? Or are we running to him because he first loved us? I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to go ahead and call Brother Frank and the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray uh, together. So, Father, we approach you now in this moment. God, we just thank you for this, this word. Thank you, Father, for this picture of, of fear and disappointment. And Lord, whether we want to admit it or not, God, this is part of our story. We have all, for some reason or another, God, been disappointed with either what you have not given us, sometimes, God, what you have chosen to give us. We've allowed those things to lead to even fear. Fear that you would hear us, fear that you would answer us, fear that you only have bad for us, fear that we're under a curse instead of under grace. Lord, I thank you this morning, God, that you would remind us that although everyone in Zechariah and Elizabeth's world would think they were under a curse, 
your word made it very, very clear that they were under your grace. Lord, we cannot be under your grace and under a curse at the same time because we are covered in the blood of Christ who took our curse for us. Therefore, we are not cursed by you. We have been blessed by you because of Christ. Oh God, we pray that through your perfect love, through your love that never goes away, that you would cast out the fear of disappointment in our lives. That you are working together for good, even in punishment, even in dis discipline, God. You are disciplining us in love. You are taking the scalpel of love in order to cut away things that shouldn't be in our lives so that you may reign and you may produce good in us and bring glory to yourself. Lord, we trust you. We trust you, O oh God. Just finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.